Welcome back to the Hockey Graphs podcast, and at this point, I think I can call him a co-host. Uh, so let's welcome back Chris <laughs> for Watkins. How you doing, Chris? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I uh, you know I, I miss the uh, miss the Hockey Graphs pod so much. I, I went out and started my own, <laughs> but uh, it's always better to have uh, uh, someone someone familiar to talk to, man. So how you doing? I know you were a game time decision today, and and toughing it out for the good of the team and the listeners. Uh, but how are you doing today? You know, I'm doing all right. Uh, you know, as is well documented on this podcast and others, I, I'm a little disappointed in the Capitals' lack of uh, anything. <laughs> um, you know, I, we've talked about this on this show and on Japers Rink Radio, but um, the Capitals were in a position where they, in my mind, they should have gone for it, either go for it or sell some assets, and they didn't either. So they're going to be a... They're 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 one of those like they're not like as bad as Colorado a few years ago, but like they're up sure. like they're the worst good team in the NHL this year if you, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so yeah, I mean the floor the floor and the ceiling uh, is not a live clearance between the two uh, for the team. Uh, so uh, yeah, uh, rough rough times ahead uh, possibly. Hey, they could still make it to the third round if Ottawa can do it last year. Then this 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 Capitals team can do it. I, I've got no belief that they will or that they'll win the stanley cup but i think i think you know anybody can win a couple rounds in the nhl playoffs we saw the 2010 canadians we've we've seen it with last year's senators but uh in my mind those teams don't tend to win so uh yeah but let's talk some trade deadline i mean that's why we're doing the show and uh i think we should start well you know there was a lot of trades that people like to now uh call the trade deadline because it's it's easy you know you don't want to uh since the, you know teams just don't wait till the day of anymore, um, so so we'll kind of go with that, and, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, a trade that happened on February 22nd, which was the New Jersey Devils acquiring uh, Michael Grabner as part of that New York Rangers sell-off. Um, so <laughs> why, why, don't you, why don't you tell me a little bit about that trade and kind of what your uh, great little machines are telling us about it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, so the first part is um, I will. Um, I will give Jeff Gordon and the Rangers a lot of credit this uh, this uh, trade deadline season. Um, and obviously, the big trade didn't happen until a few days later, but that was the sort of first. Uh, uh, well, I guess uh, Nick Holden trade. Who cares about that? Uh, but the Grabner trade was one of the sort of first significant pieces to move on their end. Uh, I'll give them credit for actually uh, publicly announcing that they were building and, and basically starting from scratch. Uh, even though they're still technically within the playoff race, but, you know, in, in, in name only. Um, and so um, getting a second-round pick for Grabner uh, for an expiring contract, a guy who uh, definitely uh, has been a 25-plus goal scorer the past few years, um, definitely has, you know, some good uh, speed and, and some good peripherals, but is not necessarily a play driver or, a, you know, a top-line player. Um, to get a second round pick from is about fair value for what I had him at. Um, so uh, just from the trade machine, um, I had Grabner at about uh, a little bit over 2.7 million for like the rest of the season uh, as a rental. Uh, the average second round goes for about uh, 2.1 million. So uh, with the with the additional prospect, um, the trade about bounces out. So basically fair value for uh, for New York in terms of what they were giving up uh, for New Jersey. The trade it was a little bit more questionable because I just don't think that the team is in a position to give up future assets uh, for a win-now trade. Um, but to me, like, given the price on Grabner, you know, you never know what's going to happen in playoffs, and I don't feel like it was an exorbitant price. 
you know, the, the trade ship you use, um, you know, it, it, to me, it's like a, an asset you're willing to give away. Uh, I, I, not necessarily agreeing with the overall timeline of the team. But to me, you know, I say it's probably a B plus trade for both sides. Uh, New York didn't really make out like bandits in it. I don't really think that uh, Grabner aligns with uh, New Jersey's timeline, but for the most part, I think both sides got what they wanted out of the trade. And in that scenario, you can really only give it like a B or a B plus grade. No, I mean, any trade where both sides leave, uh, you know, relatively content is, uh, well, first off, I think it's pretty rare in the long run. Um, <laughs> but but in the short term, you know, obviously everyone's at least somewhat happy, otherwise they wouldn't make the trade. So uh, I, I think it's an interesting deal. I mean, Grabner's a, an interesting guy. He... Uh, gets a lot of goals. Uh, he's fa- he, mainly due to his speed, and a lot of the time, that uh, leads to an empty net goal. But he's still even even if you only look at his you know five on five production, he's not a bad player. So I, I think he's an interesting move, and it's it's nice to see a franchise kind of get it, you know, be in such a different place after just one year. Uh, you know, because the Devils were were awful a season ago, so it's great to kind of see him turn it around. So are awful in the standings. You know, I, I don't feel like rehashing <laughs> whether they were good or not. Um, so. Right. The Metropolitan Division decided to be pretty busy, Chris. Um, the the Devils obviously went and got Grabner, and then we had what in my mind was a huge move, which was the Penguins going and getting Derek Broussard um, in part of a three-team deal with Ottawa and the Vegas Golden Knights, who decided you know they needed some toughness and some grit, so some Ryan Reeves. So why don't you kind of break this one down for me? Yeah, so uh, so we had um, the Penguins acquiring uh, Derek Broussard and a, and a third round pick, uh, sending out Ian Cole and a first rounder and a third rounder, and then uh, and then also Ryan Reeves and, and a fourth rounder. Um, so basically, uh, the Penguins uh, decided they want to go in for Derek Broussard, uh, realized they didn't have the cap space to do it, sort of brought in Vegas as a third team and threw them a fourth round pick for the Troubles uh, and got off a Ryan Reeves contract. So. A couple of key things. Uh, one, uh, clearly the, the Ryan Reeves for a first rounder uh, trade uh, obviously was a suck cost by that point, but that still sort of looms large over over that offseason decision. God knows why they decided to do that. Um, but beside that point, um, obviously um, a very uh, a, a very interesting and good trade uh, for for the Penguins. Um, Broussard is uh, still a pretty pretty darn good player. Uh, um, you know, can bring a lot as a as a pretty darn good uh, 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 third line center, um, and so definitely makes them very uh, scary and competitive in the playoffs. Um, and and where the team is in terms of a timeline, uh, they don't necessarily have the best drafting record. You know, trade a lot of their sort of first round picks. Really, only have Daniel Strong as a sort of prospect a note within their pipeline. So to sort of get a player of Broussard's caliber for you know what they gave up um definitely makes a lot of sense um kudos to ottawa for for you know sort of not sort of you know not giving up um based on the fact that they had a dance partner that you know couldn't couldn't necessarily go with them so good for them to to go with vegas so i would say right now the trade grades are probably like a a minus for pittsburgh uh maybe a a b plus for ottawa and then Vegas, obviously the third partner, sort of taking on Ryan Reeves and stuff. Um, the the value of a fourth round pick is around a million dollars. Um, they paid quite a bit more uh, to to get to get that. Uh, I think they paid about three million dollars in total uh, to get that. And so to me, that is not 
uh, a sufficient enough return to sort of facilitate that deal. So to me, um, they probably come out, you know, maybe as a C minus in that. Um, you know, it, it, the, the machinations is a little bit weirder, and there's some prospects that that moved around, but. I think Vegas came out at the end of the day, probably not in the best position um, from that deal. But uh, kudos to Pittsburgh and Ottawa for figuring out some way to get it done. Yeah, I mean, it was impressive. I mean, if I recall correctly, the trade was originally rejected by the league, so they had they had to right. kind of rework it and do something a bit funky to make it work. Um, I believe that was because they were trying to do something bizarre with the um, with Vegas retaining salary without ever having the player. So that didn't work out. So <laughs> they, they, they found a way around it and it, it ended up all kind of working for all parties. But, you know, it's, it, it, uh, I was about to say, it's nice to see Pittsburgh make a move, but it, it, it's, it's not for everybody else. But the, again, there's a team that seems driven to, to try to win. And, and they seem to be doing that by keeping their costs relatively low. Um, and they do that again by getting Derek Broussard with some costs retained. So, uh, Kudos to that that management team for kind of doing a good job. So, um, I I guess we could just go on to the next one here, and, and I'm just reading these chronologically, so I'm not sure. trying to focus on the Metro, just so everybody knows. But <laughs> uh, the Islanders acquired Brandon Davidson from the Edmonton Oilers. This wasn't a huge move. It was for a third round pick in 2019. Um, we don't have to go through all these if you don't want to, Chris. But did you, did you have any sure. thoughts on this thing? Uh, very quickly, I mean, yeah, Brandon Davidson is probably well below the radar of players I'll pay attention to on a regular basis. Um, very quickly, uh, definitely a guy with some good size. Uh, plays the neutral zone well. Um, you know, can't skate for, for anything. Uh, there's a reason why he's been sort of back and forth between Montreal and Edmonton and all these other teams. Um, but, you know, decent enough return for, for a player of his caliber. But, yeah, it's uh, – um, I think the the tweet I saw was Edmonton let a guy go on waivers that went for a third a couple of months later. Um, probably not great asset management on part of the Peter Shirelli regime, but what else is new? Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's probably the big extent of. Uh, I, I probably spend more time talking about Brandon Davidson. They don't play actual meaningful minutes this year um, going forward. So so yeah. Yeah, that, that's uh, well put. All right, we're at a big trade here. Uh, this was Rick Nash got traded from those sellers, New York Rangers. For Ryan Spooner, Matt Bieski, and oh. defenseman Ryan Lindgren. I know, oh, and Boston's first round pick in 2018 at 7th round pick again in 2018. So this was a pretty uh, hefty trade here. And I'm not going to lie, I was a little surprised by the return that the Rangers got for Rick Nash. Uh, surprised in a good way or a bad way? Uh, I, thought, I thought it was kind of... See, that's interesting, because for me, I'm like... I thought it was just a lot. I mean, a lot of it isn't stuff you really want. You know, I don't really want Matt Bieski sure. or anything. But, you know, you're going to get a draft pick. It's not going to be a great draft pick. Um, you know, and the guy's not going to do anything for your team. Like, and, and really the question is, did you get him for more or less than what the market would have done it for? And, and I don't really think they would have gotten a lot more on the market for Rick Nash and what they got. No, yeah. So, so this is where the sort of trading machine really comes in handy in terms of, like, understanding the – uh, understanding the sort of value of different assets. Uh, so, uh, Rick Nash, expiring contract, you know, definitely not the player he was a few years ago, still a very useful player, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, the, the trade machine expects him to go for about $3 million a year uh, for his next contract. Uh, uh, maybe 3.5 with the right team if he has a great playoff, so on and so forth. Uh, so, basically, a $3 million, a $3 million a year player for the last, you know, third of a season, uh, um, it doesn't necessarily come out to 
exactly $3 million, but basically um, what he went for. Uh, uh, so basically the trade machine has, uh, has Rick Nash at like $8 million total. Um, as an $8 million total value trade asset, that's the amount of asset that he's worth. Um, what New York got in return was worth $23 million. Yeah, uh, that sounds about right. Ryan, yeah, so a first round pick in itself is, uh, the average first round pick is around uh, $9 million. Later on in the in the first round, you sort of are in the, uh, you know, 4 to $5 million range. Um, so basically they got, uh, you know, the first round pick, which in itself almost covers the cost of, of Rick Nash. Uh, Ryan Swooner, who uh, looked at the stats, you know, uh, uh, five on five, uh, primary points, um, all that stuff. Very similar players uh, in terms of what you're giving up. So you're basically flipping Rick Nash or a player equivalent of Rick Nash in terms of production. Uh, Spooner obviously had um, a much better line mate in, um, in, in Boston. I, I, I tweeted a stat yesterday. The average game score down a uh, loose chicken stat. Um, the average game score for Rick Nash's line mate for 1.54 per 60 uh, for over the past three years for Ryan Spooner, there was 2.24. Um, so uh, uh, you have to read up on the on the uh, on the stat itself to figure out how big of a difference that is. Um, but pretty, it's a pretty significant difference. But regardless, they literally have the same level of production over the past three years. And then obviously Spooner is a lot younger. And then to get a a, a prospect on top of that, uh, even if a marginal prospect, uh, that's a lot to give up and stuff. And, and it's really one of those situations where. If uh, Boston wins the cup, um, you know, Rick Nash may play a role, but it probably is not going to be if in an alternate universe to have they kept Spooner and the, all of these assets. Probably not that much more of a difference than what Spooner would have done himself. Um, and then if they don't win, then you're just sort of looking back on that, like the uh, the um, the uh, oh, Martin Hanzo trade last year from the Minnesota Wild, where it's like, man, you gave up a lot of you know, future assets for, you know, run out the cup and like that guy wasn't really putting you over the top. So um, I, I really like Nash as a player. I do think he can make a difference, but I don't think that um, the, there's only downside risk to this trade to me. I think um, Boston really took out the uh, opportunity to win big on it by giving up so much in terms of the assets. Yeah. I mean, when you give up a lot, you're, you're putting yourself up to risk. I mean, we kind of saw that last year uh, also with the Capitals with Kevin Shattenkirk. <laughs> where you know yeah. it, it was a deal that um you know it makes sense at the time if you got a chance to win i mean and you know obviously the bruins have some young players in their core but for the most part you know they're not a young team i mean you've got uh, bergeron and chara and these guys that uh, aren't at the beginning of their careers so i i think that you know they've got to take a run for it while they can um so so while it might be a lot that they're paying i think they're trying to kind of weigh the pros and cons and uh, the way that the NHL is right now, you know, sustained excellence, you know, you know, outside of really, I guess, Pittsburgh right now isn't a big thing. So um, you got to try to win when you're hot. And, I mean, the Bruins certainly are hot right now, and they're looking like a real contender uh, going into the spring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I agree with making a trade, and I think, like, I think the other key thing for the Rangers, and one of the reasons why I give them a lot of credit for it is because they did not wait for the deadline to sort of make these moves. I think mm-hmm. uh, you saw a lot of these get cramped through the door um, at the last second, and uh, you could have very easily been sort of, um, and we, it, it's a little bit of foreshadowing uh, for the later trades that happened, but you could have definitely been holding Rick Nash uh, with sort of no avenue to trade him and only you know expecting a, a second or third round pick. 
Um, so I give them a lot of credit for finding, you know, you know, not looking at gift horses in the mouth. They got the first round pick they were looking for, even if the prospect wasn't as great. And it's like, fine, we'll do it and, and split them as soon as possible. So a lot of credit to Jeff Gordon begrudgingly because of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good on good on them. And again, I mean, it, it's it's. I, I talked about this a little bit with Craig Custance on uh, the Japers Drink Radio podcast. It was really impressive uh, to me and to him that the Rangers went out and, you know, told their fans what they were going to do. I mean, they sure. actually clearly laid out what their plan was. And uh, I, I don't know if you've looked at Twitter too much today after the trade deadline, but a lot of teams and a lot of fans are kind of watching their general manager's post-trade deadline press conference, and they have no idea what their team's goal is right now. You know, it, it's right. nice. it'd be nice to kind of have a clear idea of, of what your GM envisions and really to know that ownership and the GM are on the same page. So um, let's move on to the next trade, though, because uh, Toronto is actually one of the teams that I guess some people are, are, are a little – uh, unsure that everyone there is kind of on board in the exact same way. And, and right. they, they acquired Thomas Placanic, um from the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, what, what do you think about that deal? So from a value asset standpoint, I, I like the, I like the Placanic trade. I think, uh, you know, he's 35 and stuff, so that sort of brings down his stats to, uh, you know, his future valuation a bit. Um, the model has a pretty big aging curve in terms of, you know, players over the age of 30, um, especially. And so Placanic um actually he's one of the few players that that over the age of 30 actually went up in value uh over the hmm. year um just because he's played really well um so yeah so i have a built-in agent curve that sort of takes into account like yeah you know guys older the the counting stats aren't as great um he actually went up uh but it's still for for what the uh maple Leafs gave up um uh, you know a couple of marginal you know, I was a big, uh, big Kirby Reichel fan when he came into the league. Um, I think his dad played at some point in time, so he had some name brand value. Um, but I do think that the, uh, the, the, the sort of air has been let out those tires. And so um, to get Placanic, you know, definitely does add to their depth. Um, I think the problem is, also for, if we're looking at that trade itself in the vacuum, um, I think it's a good asset return. Um, and then for Montreal, they weren't going anywhere. They didn't have any use for them. Uh, so to me, it makes sense. Uh, so on both sides, it's probably a B, B plus trade. Um, mm-hmm. The problem is the lack of other moves around that. Like no one looked at, you know, no one looked at Toronto and says, uh, even before the trade that their other uh, competitors made, you know, Pittsburgh, Boston, and, and Tampa Bay, and said, oh yeah, the biggest weak point is, uh, you know, fourth line center. So you you know you were expecting at least. At the very least, a, a Chris Tanev trade or something along those lines, and to not be able to swing something like that is definitely very disconcerting to a lot of Leafs fans that I follow on Twitter. Well, I mean, tw- Twitter Twitter is a place where uh, you'll get you'll get a lot of, <laughs> you'll see a lot one way or the other. Um, you know, wh- wh- do you have any other big thoughts about Toronto's trade deadline? Did you expect to see more from them? I. I, I said a couple of times, I, I think, for example, the, the return that Ryan McDonough went for definitely was something that was in Toronto's wheelhouse and, and something they definitely could have pulled off um, just with the plethora. They have so many prospects that they can't play them all. And, you know, even if they're not great ones, I, I definitely think they could have made a – and I'm, I'm sure they were in on it. I, I think some of the concern I heard was that McDonough was a right-handed D or something like that. And I, you know, I'm always – 
skeptical that that of how important that actually is at the end of the day. I think you just need the best. You need to put your best players out there, regardless of handedness, uh, and, and figure out and figure it out from there. And I think uh, you know one of our colleagues, I think Matt Kane was the one who sort of pointed out like the course four differential you need to justify having a you know guy play on his offense. Um, regardless, I think they should have did that. If there was any actual truth to the Eric Carlson trade rumors, um, that's absolutely a trade that you have to pursue. Um, and if it means giving up a, you know, even I can understand maybe not tra- trading the buzz or whatever, but anything underneath that uh, on the team uh, should be fair value for a guy of Eric Carlson's caliber. Um, you know, you can't you can't get into the perpetual cycle of just being good enough not to actually get over the, the, the hump. Um, I think all of the, the big contenders, uh, the Hawks, the Penguins, the, the Kings, I um, mean, the Bruins uh, of past years, you know, made some trade of some, uh, some trade or some signing that, you know, really indicated that they were going all in for it. And I don't think you can just continuously cycle in and out these prospects indefinitely and hope that one of them like turns into you know, that guy that you can, you know, get on the trading market. So I, I, I think it was a very disappointing deadline. Uh, I guess it was a long one way of saying that. Yeah, I think they had – Toronto's got such a plethora of young talent um, sure. that, you know, you kind of expect them to maybe make a bit more of a move. I mean, I get that you like your guys, but, um, you know, your window isn't going to stay open forever. I mean, obviously their guys are still young enough, but uh, in the salary cap era – you know they're gonna have to start paying those guys soon, um, right. and they're not gonna have the flexibility that they had this year to kind of add some guy that costs more. So uh, I hope I hope for kind of their sake that uh, this isn't the their last like they don't flame out and really regret it and never get back <laughs> here again. But um, I-, I think it's an interesting strategy, and we'll definitely uh, see how it plays out for them, Cotton. <laughs> um, that was a <laughs> dodgeball reference, in case any- anybody anybody missed it. <laughs> um, all right, what else? What else excites you here, Chris? I mean, we had we had a lot of moves today, but I don't. I mean, obviously, we're going to get to the biggest yeah. ones, but uh, yeah, so, any of these small little in the betweens that, that that you want to talk about? Uh, yeah. So I mean, we can start with the Ryan Hartman trade, which for me was a a a revelation in terms of, of what actually happened. So Ryan Hartman of the Chicago Blackhawks uh, went to uh, Nashville for. A first rounder, a, a fourth round pick, and uh, and a prospect who I've never heard of. I'm not a prospect guy, <laughs> um, but the fact that uh, a lot of people, he wasn't apparently some scrub they found on the street, was uh, <laughs> uh, you know it was good. And, and to me, like that is uh, for the Blackhawks is great. Uh, Hartman is you know a 23 year old, but I don't think uh, I I think a lot of the stats and stuff and a lot of the, the writings that people have come out with in recent years saying that basically the guy hasn't hit that ceiling by 21, 22, um, that really, he, he really is the player that he is at that point. Um, it really only goes down from there. I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of the value that we get from a lot of older players comes from the defensive uh, side of the puck and, and we don't really have great ways to measure that. But in terms of an offensive guy, um, you know, you really peak out in those early years, uh, early ELC years. Um, so Hartman, uh, so far this year, is at, you know, 25 points in 57 games. So not anybody you would say is like a, a, you know, top-notch scorer. For example, Michael Grabner went for a second-round pick, and he had 25 goals, and Ryan Hartman has 25 points. 
So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that in itself just sort of indicates like there may be a, a slight misevaluation. And when I say slight, I, I'm being very sarcastic. It was a <laughs> massive misevaluation uh, on the part of national predators. And, and Sturgeon is very, very, uh, it's a very weird trade to make uh, for, for Dave Poyle. I'm not sure what, what problem Ryan Hartman solves. Uh, he's not, you know, he's not a, you know, he's not a center. Uh, and so I'm not really sure what he brings to the table that would sort of warrant a first round pick um, for him. Uh, and he, like I said, if it was just for the fourth round pick and the prospect, I would say that's probably fair value. Um, but for the first round pick on, on top of that, uh, to me, that that's the F worthy grade because like, not only are you giving up tons of assets, but it's not like you're giving up tons of assets for Rick Nash, which you can sort of talk yourself into and your fan base into. But uh, for a guy, Ryan Hartman, who wasn't even, uh, you know, sort of a, a second or third line player, you know, in the future iteration of Blackhawks, that just seems like a massive overpay uh, to me. So that one was one that really stood out to me earlier today. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, uh, well, yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely a bit of a surprise. Um I mean, and I believe it was something like 10 or 12 minutes apart or something, the Hartman deal, and then the Paul Stastny trade from St. Louis to Winnipeg, where, again, I'm pretty sure that um, Winnipeg ended up uh, not having to, to take on the full um, cap hit amount. I'm pretty sure that there was some retention there by St. Louis. Yeah, and, and to me, and that's a perfect example, I think Paul Stastny was by far... A, a much better asset to acquire for a similar, a similar package and actually think a little bit less uh, is a far better player than, than Ryan Hartman. Mm -hmm. So I was a key need for, for Winnipeg in terms of, you know, filling in until, uh, and, until Mark Shifley gets back um, and then uh, has, you know, some ability to play, uh, you know, the second, third line center in the playoffs. Uh, so to me, like that is a, example of a great trade i'm looking at like his peripheral stats you know top notch shooting top notch passing uh you know uh, decent with shot creation not great on the defensive side of the puck but for a third line center a projected one that to me is exactly what you need in the playoffs so uh, to me that was a great uh, you know a great asset uh to acquire on behalf of the uh, uh of the jets to get some salary retention on top of that is even better uh, so to me they massively uh um what they ended up giving up that first round pick is around, worth around nine million. Uh, Paul Stacey is around like fourteen million. Um, with that, uh, with that salary retention, that number goes up even more. So, a uh, great, great on that part. Uh, the Blues, I sort of understand where they're coming from. They're probably you know not going to be able to resign them. And um, one of these days, I actually look back on Paul Stacey's, uh, you know, St. Louis Blues career because he was such a big free agent signing from the Avalanche a few years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it, it still seems like they're waving the white flag a bit too early. You know, people were just talking about them as recently as a few weeks ago as a potential cup contender, and now to give up, you know, one of their top centers, you know, even for a future asset. Um, I mean, that's good to get some return for them, but it's not going to be a great pick anyway, especially now that you're making the team that you got it from stronger. That pick is only going to get worse, and I don't think, you know, I think, unfortunately, a lot of fans and a lot of media sort of arbitrarily hear a first-round pick and automatically assume, well, that's a great return. But literally, if you're making the team that you're training into that much better, then that is basically a, a fancy second-round pick. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, and and that return goes down dramatically. So uh, I almost wish teams would involve a sort of a third team and acquire their put, they, you know, so that way there's no sort of uh, moral hazard in terms of, uh how those things play out, but you know, that's neither here nor there, but yeah, uh, great job on Winnipeg, not quite as sure. So that's probably C plus 
B minus for the for the blues. Yeah, you know what's interesting is that. Um... Oh no, I'm losing my train of thought here. The the trade <laughs> itself wasn't like a a huge one in my mind. Like, you know, Paul Stasny, oh, Stasny wasn't, you know, he, he's not quite the player he used to be, but he's still like a good, solid player. I mean, and uh, not having to pay him that much. I mean, Winnipeg has great center depth. Uh, I th- I think they're going to be a true threat. Um, they have a great record, and and, and their underlying numbers, I'm pretty sure, uh, back up kind of the 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 skill that they have on the roster. Um, and, and I'm kind of you know, you and I don't usually talk about like too much non-number stuff, but uh, mm-hmm. I, be- I believe Braden Shen came out and said something about, you know, it, he just didn't quite get the trade because he, you know, they're like one point out of a playoff spot. Like he, he was, right. I, how do you think like it affects a player when, when he kind of sees his team, like throw in the towel when like, they're still like in it and in St. Louis, you know, the Rangers, we knew they weren't really good, but St. Louis isn't like an awful team. You know, right. I, I think there's a big difference there between the two. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's funny because, you know, like you said, this came an hour after the Ryan Hartman trade and Jonathan Tate said, I don't understand why we're trading Ryan Hartman. And I'm like, there's a whole bunch of reasons why we're trading Ryan Hartman. It's very obvious. Uh, we, we're paying Jonathan Tate and Brent Seabrook too much. The team sucks. We're last place in the division. Uh, we need to get some assets. Uh, and it was, a, it was a, a return that you couldn't say no to. So that was a very obvious. I have no idea why that came out. Uh, unless, you know, Jonathan Tate is trying to big up his teammate on the way out. Uh, but but in Brady Shen's point, yeah, like I said, they literally were just considered a Stanley Cup contender a few weeks ago. And, you know, you see teams go through this sort of ups and downs all throughout the season. The Philadelphia Flyers lost 10 games in a row earlier this season, and now I think they're they're in the third place in the division and pushing for home, uh, home ice advantage in the playoffs. Uh, so you see teams go through these, ebbs and flows all throughout the season. And so, yeah, to sort of pull the rug out from under them um, to get, uh, like I said, a glorified second-round pick, uh, you know, it's kind of really hard to sell, um, you know, the rest of the team and saying that, hey, we believe in you guys that we do this. Because they literally did the same thing last year with Kevin Shattenkirk mm-hmm. um, and traded him at the deadline where they were still in some sort of contention. So, uh, you know, once again, this is perpetual flipping uh, – Flipping assets at the deadline piece, you know, I think it's great in extent. I think St. Louis has had a pretty good track record draft, and they do have a lot of good prospects that a lot of people are interested in. But at some point, you either have to, like, play to win or it's no point in playing at all. Like, if you're going to do that, then you got to go for everybody. And I think, like, for a team like St. Louis, um, even New York, uh, the Rangers realizing that you can't be in this perpetual treadmill. Um, you either have to be one of the te- league's best teams or on your way down and trying to get a top pick. Um, and sort of just hanging around the middle really doesn't get you anywhere. So, uh, yeah, it's a very weird set of circumstances, and that's why, like, I think when I'm talking about, like, trade grades and, and, and deadline grades, I'm not just looking at one trade in a vacuum, but saying, mm-hmm. like, what is the direction of the team uh, for the long term? Uh, this doesn't really signal well for St. Louis uh, uh, for the long term uh, going forward. Yeah, I imagine it's really tough both being a, a player uh, and a fan of that franchise when it kind of feels like they're giving up on you a little bit. Um, I, and I guess especially for a guy like Braden Shen who's coming from a team that uh, kind of turned it around this year and is really hot right yeah. now. So I'm uh, sure it makes it a bit harder. Um, you know, th- I don't have too many other trades on here before we kind of get to the ones later, uh, right around three, that kind of sure. jumped out at me. So if you have any others, I think you should just go ahead and uh, and tell tell me about them. Yeah, so I'll do a quick lightning round of, of the other ones. Um, so Tom Vanek uh, going from Vancouver to Columbus. Uh, you know, Columbus got some, you know, decent secondary scoring for, like, not a lot at all. 
on Tyler Mott, uh, one of the many, many casualties of the Sam Bowman uh, uh, youth killing regime. He's like Anakin Skywalker in the Jedi Temple, um, <laughs> just killing off all the youth that he can find. Uh, so uh, to me, that was a very disappointing. Uh, once again, going back to the trade deadline rates for like Vancouver, um, the lack of activity and the lack of ability to, to move anybody and, you know, sort of announcing that you're going to sign Eric Branson to a, a three-year extension as opposed to moving him at the deadline for some assets, even if they're a six-round take, uh, just signals that they have no idea what they're doing up there. Uh, so to me, that was a pretty disappointing uh, turn of event. Um, Patrick Maroon going to uh, New Jersey. Uh, uh, for a third-round pick and a prospect. Uh, um, yeah, once again, I'm not quite sure that Jersey's a couple pieces away. And if I were to say if any if any trade needed to be made, it, it needs to be uh, in addition to the to the blue line. Um, I think that's where um, they still are are pretty lacking in terms of you know just having quality NHL talent talent behind Sammy Vatnin and I guess Damon Stevenson is good. I'm not even 100 percent sure anymore. Um, so that one, that one was kind of weird. And then the other one that really stood out to me, actually, I had, I didn't know this one went through until probably a couple of minutes before I jumped on the on the call. Uh, Thomas Tatar going to uh, to Vegas uh, for a first, a second, and a third round pick. Um, good, yes, goodness, it that that's not a good trade at all. Uh, um, and, and the reason for that, and I understand some of the thought process around it, you know, Sitara has a reputation as a, a scorer and a sniper and a guy that can get a lot of things done for you. Um, but if you just look at the sort of underlying numbers this year, uh, you know, for a guy who doesn't really bring a lot else to the table um, in terms of, you know, possession or, you know, getting other players involved, uh, I want to say he's at, under like twenty something points, actually. Let me look it up now before I make something off the top of my head. Uh, uh, it wasn't good though. Give me like five <laughs> seconds. <laughs> no problem. Uh, he's at twenty eight points in sixty two games. Um, and so to give up that amount of assets for him. Now, granted, he does have a couple of years left on his contract, uh, so it's not sort of just a one time rental. Um, and they can use, uh, you know, they can continue to keep him around, but it's still you could have gotten more for that return uh in terms of i don't even think he's as good as a player as rick nash uh to be honest and in, in terms of what he can bring to the table so you know if they were looking for a winger to add some sort of secondary scoring uh grabner would have been a better pick um just in terms of a better player and a better value rick nash would have made more sense uh james and reasons like uh there could have been a lot of players like this one to me was uh, a, a, an egregious overpay um, for a a team that was supposed to be building up through the draft and sort of was playing with house money. Um, and so to give up that many future draft assets uh, for a player who I don't really think is going to make a difference one way or the other in the playoffs um, is really is really not great asset management. So uh, I would probably give them a D plus for that. Um, but those were the sort of big ones that that uh, snuck under the radar for me. Yeah, I mean those those trades were all. I don't know, you nailed, you nailed it there, Chris. Uh, those were definitely interesting things. Uh, actually, there was one other one that... Um, now nah, you know, you, you got all the biggest ones. <laughs> I got that. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, the biggest trade of the day, which was obviously the Ryan McDonough move to um, Tampa Bay, which 
I, I wasn't sure it was going to end up going through. I mean, it, it, w- it was really in tight there to the wire. I mean, it must have been like 259, th- 45 or something. Uh, it it yeah. was really close. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, that huge deal? Um, I was so ready to declare the the Rangers the winners of the trade deadline. Even when I saw the trade come in initially, I uh, you know I was at work and so I'm just like you know speaking glances at my Twitter timeline. One of my bosses like yelling at me and stuff. So I'm thinking like you know uh, from what I originally saw, you know Nemesikov and like the first round pick and another asset and stuff like that. I'm like yeah you know. Not great. Uh, not necessarily stuck. Not a move within itself that sort of jumpstarts the Rangers rebuild. Um, but for it's an, it's something to get. And I don't think that that price was going up over time. I do think there was going to be a premium paid for being be able to have a guy like either McDonough or Carlson for two tough runs. And so I do think teams were sort of very uh, attentive to that. So um, so kudos to them for making the trade happen. Then I saw JT Miller going there, and I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> uh, to me, that was like the. To me, it was already probably a below, below uh, market uh, return on what sort of rhyming down himself offered. And I think like the part that people keep forgetting is that he's only at, uh, he's only at for uh, I think four point nine million uh, between this year and next. Mm-hmm. And so for the fact that. Um, even, even for example, if if the Rangers were to keep him for next year and stuff like that, they would probably still get a first round pick next year. I think JT Miller, like, and I'm not necessarily as big as JT Miller fan, but I do think he does have a lot of value and so I was a little bit, I won't say upside, but he's at that time in his career where he sort of plateaus uh, in terms of what his value is. But I think at certainly at some point, um, you're going to sign a player of JT Miller's caliber. Um, hopefully you can get uh, uh, him as a restricted, uh, as a not a restricted free agent, but just as a free agent, um, you can ho- hopefully get him at a hometown discount. But you're going to give those free agent dollars to somebody of JT Miller's equivalent talent, but probably at some sort of a premium. So to me, that was not a good uh, additional asset. Uh, that was not just a good uh, a way to manage those assets. Uh, I, I like domestic college. I think he's played well, uh, but to the return that they got in itself was not nearly enough for McDonough. Um, they probably got, uh, according to my trade machine, they probably got about half the value they could have gotten from McDonough um, from the trade alone. I'm not as uh, familiar with the prospect they got, but I heard that it's an okay prospect. Uh, and to me, okay prospects that aren't in the NHL quite yet are, uh, you know, very marginal in terms of, like, they, they can be yeah, pieces of Yeah, yeah, they be so to me like a guy, a, a guy that's a former second round or third round pick. Even if he's a first round pick equivalent now, or, or, or similar production to other first round picks are selling in the AHL, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that's still a diminished asset, regardless. And so, uh, a perfect example is um, the number one pick in the draft. Um, the day that is drafted, Nolan, uh, or number two pick in the draft, we use that example. Nolan Patrick is pick number two this year. The second we pick. Um, based on uh, Matt Cain's valuation and some updates I made to it, uh, that is worth about $13 million before he even steps on the ice. Uh, obviously, any production that comes on top of that, uh, sort of bumps that number up. So right now, the difference between uh, Nico Hischer and Nolan Patrick is about $12 million. Uh, Nico Hischer is worth about $31 million. 
and those attachments are worth about uh, 19. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's just based off their play this year. Um, for every year that that number two pick or whatever doesn't uh, either make the NHL or just, you know, the play doesn't justify that draft spot, you know, I, I discount them about 20%. So, um, so like I said, if uh, Nolan Patrick never made the NHL, after about three or four years, he's only worth about $6 million in terms of trade value. Um, that, so anyways, going back to that, saying, like, I, I don't care how good a project is outside of the, the NHL, um, unless they're in the KHL and like really tearing it up and they're just not coming over for contract issues or, or something like that, um, to me, uh, that's not really a great concern. So anyways, I say all that to say that um, for what they got in, 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 that, in that particular package, I know Steve Eisenman was so happy that the Eric Carlson uh, talks and rumors uh, hit uh, crescendo in, in, in terms of the public atmosphere. Because mm-hmm. I know he was literally playing those two teams against each other. He was like, I can literally go to, to Pierre Dorian and give him the same exact, you know, package and get a much better player. I'll just go in, you know, another, you know, a Taylor Radish or another first-round pick or something like that and get a much better player. And then uh, he's going to Pierre Dorian and say, I can go to Jeff Gordon, pay much less, get an equivalent player, and still push my team over the top. And I know he's playing the heck out of those teams against each other. Um, but to me, I think, like, in that scenario, you just sort of hold on to the acid, like the bullet, wait till the uh, offseason, trade McDonough then, know exactly that first-round pick that you're getting, you know exactly what the draft slot is, and just hold on to that. So I don't think that was uh, – I, I think the Rangers had it, and they were literally trying to thread a needle. They almost made it through at the end and, 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 and you know, got too close to the sun and, 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 and fell like Icarus. It was, it was that close. <laughs> Exactly. They were almost there. They were almost there and didn't quite make it. So, uh, so kudos to them for trying. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. You know, you know, I didn't think it was like the worst return in the world. I, I did think that they got McDonough at a, at a pretty affordable price. Um, like, you know, I'm not using a trade machine or anything. I'm using like, <laughs> you know, my, my my basic analysis. And, and to me, you know, sure. it was a. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they overall, like maybe if you put all the deals together, you know, they did all right. You know, you can't you can't win every trade individually, but as a whole, the Rangers did pretty well for themselves, right? So, um, you know, if, if you average the Nash trade in that one, what do you think, Chris? Is that that about even, or what do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, they did they accomplished two key, two key things. They they got off they traded all their you know main UFAs, got some return for it, uh, significantly added to the asset pool. Um, which is key, made their current team uh, much worse, um, which will obviously increase the value of their own draft pick, um, and then have, like, actually committed to, like I said, the, uh, the, the plan of rebuilding through the draft. Now, obviously, him uh, with uh plays a big role in how, in how that actually goes in terms of him being able to sort of fluctuate the on-ice result. Uh, but I do think overall it is, a, it is a great trade deadline for them. I just think it could have been better. Um, but to your point, I do think, like, at the end of the day, they, they knocked out, you know, three out of the four main goals that they had. And if you can't win all of them, I think that's the other thing that people have to keep in mind. When you look at a team like, uh, you know, we were praising John Chaka a few years ago for, you know, getting, uh, um, you know, a, a, a first-round pick for taking off of that contract. And we commend, you know, a lot of these teams for trading a declining assets for first-round pick because the team isn't going anywhere. Um, you know, while it's great that they were able to do that and get these first-round picks, the fact that their teams were expected to do much more on the ice and they couldn't actually do that does not mean does not 
that's not invalidated by the fact that they got a first round pick, uh, <laughs> even if it's a late first round pick for that. And so, you know, what I said yesterday was, you know, congratulations to Jeff Gordon for taking two steps forward with the franchise after previously taking them four steps back. I do think we have to keep the holistic picture in mind here where the reason why the Rangers are in this spot in the first place is because of bad asset management on, on, on the part of the management uh, uh, beforehand. So uh, I do think it was a good trade deadline. The problem was there's, uh, you know, 364 other days in the season uh, uh, are in the year uh, for us to evaluate their performance. Yeah, that, that, those are all fair points. All right, uh, Chris, I got one last thing I want to get for you. We, we're kind of running sure. up against it here. Yeah. Um, you talked about how Detroit made a good move on the Tatar trade. Um, you know, Vegas paid a lot for him. But they were unable to move Mike Green for anything. Um, and, and I yeah. get there was some fear around uh, Mike Green was suffering from some sort of neck ailment, and he's a guy who's had uh, injury problems in the past. But, I mean, you know, how, what, what, what's kind of your, your excuse if you're Detroit and you don't get anything for a guy that, uh, you know, was one of the kind of – marquee pieces is a bit high probably for Mike Green, but he was a guy there was a lot of buzz around uh, kind of down the stretch. Yeah, I, and I think this goes back to this why I don't think you should wait till the deadline to, mm-hmm. to, to make a move. I, I, I think a lot of uh, GMs sort of talk themselves into, well, teams will get desperate and we'll get X, Y, and Z for it. Um, but you also have to understand that when you look at the marketplace, you know, there was a hint that Ryan McDonough was going to hit the market as, as early as the beginning of the season. I wrote an article about it, about the potential trade destinations that you can go to. Um, you look at Eric Carlson, you know, we did a podcast about that three months ago about uh, uh, Eric Carlson possibly getting traded. So you have to read the trade market, understand that in terms of where my guy's staff rank in comparison to other assets that hit the market, he's probably fifth or sixth. And so if I can get some sort of return for him, even if it's not a top tier one, um, I have to be able to do it. Now, obviously you take some risk that there could have been more out there um, given that teams are better, can better understand the situation in the playoffs and stuff. But uh, to me, that's even more of an incentive to move because you know, you may trade it to a team that thinks they're in playoff contention on January 1st and then falls out like they were St. Louis Blues and all of a sudden that first-round pick is a lot more valuable. So, to me, I think it was a matter of uh, uh, being uh, too clever by half on the part of Ken Holland, <laughs> which has been his MO for the past, like, you know, five or ten years. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I don't think that they played that situation well. And I do think that uh, Toronto, on the other hand, you know, once again, not be able to get – you know, Mike Green or Tatanev or Ryan McDonough or Eric Carlson or anybody of value uh, to, to help bolster their blue line. I do think they're going to look back on that if they don't win the Cup this year and say that was a missed opportunity. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. Um, well, Chris, thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, as always, uh, I, <laughs> I, I do appreciate it. And I, and I want you to kind of, uh, you know, plug your work a little bit here. Let's make sure that as many eyes as possible can see your great work and uh, mm-hmm. hopefully play around with your tools a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I'll uh, I'll have you know full trade recaps coming out. Uh, you know, across hockey at Brass and uh, a couple other sites I write for uh, uh, Blue Sea Blogs, uh, the Raw Charge, uh, specifically breaking down the McDonough uh, to Tampa Bay uh, trade, um, and then also presenting at, at the Vancouver Hockey Analytics Conference this week uh, with a lot of the rest of the Hockey Grass family, um, specifically talking about the. The oral history about the rise and fall of the Atlanta Thrashers. Um, so I'm really excited about That's that. That's pretty cool. Um, and then, uh, I, then I have a couple other pieces I'm working on specifically for the playoffs. Um, uh, talking about uh, a line match, uh, optimizing your line matchups for a certain star uh, star lines, uh, like the Marchand, um, uh, Pasternak, 
uh, Bergeron uh, line, how do you sort of beat lines like that? And then also uh, trying to uh, counteract fatigue uh, within within the game. So a couple of key things coming uh, on hockey grass pretty soon. I'm so excited about those. Yeah, those are really great. Uh, Chris, thanks again, man, for coming on. really appreciate it. Yeah, same here, man. Thanks a lot.